Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Leadership for Organizational Growth. In it, you'll discover the nature of leadership, different types of leaders and leadership styles, as well as myths about leadership and how you can actually develop the skills as a leader to drive revenue growth. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three, four, five. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really looking forward to speaking with today's guests, especially as it's been a, a little while since I've actually been on the podcast. Um, Today's guest is a customer success leader at Microsoft, where she spent more than 14 years driving sales and customer engagement. Before that, she spent time in sales and leadership at IBM, Apple, and Sun Microsystems. So she's really been in a lot of those big tech companies that have really built the the tech environment that we're all living in today. She also serves as an educational counselor at her alma mater, MIT, and she hosts a podcast called Love Your Team, which I highly, highly recommend. She splits her time between Arizona and Seattle. Not exactly sure where I'm talking to her from right now, but welcome to the show, Helen Finucci. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I am so thrilled to be here. I am so thrilled to have you, and I really look forward to our conversation today. But before we jump into um, the the specifics of what we're going to be talking about, I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Yes, absolutely. So your listeners might be wondering why customer success when this is all about sales. So I actually started my career uh, many years ago as an engineer working for IBM in Silicon Valley. And shortly into my tenure there, I realized I wanted to be out with customers, helping them use the technology to drive business outcomes instead of in the back room. And so at that point in time, there were really the really the only option was a sales role. So I went into a sales role, then sales management. And um, now we've kind of come full circle in a cloud based world. uh, Customers can turn off your cloud services or SaaS solution just as quickly as they can turn it on. And so I really believe the next frontier for sales is customer success and really, really, really helping customers realize that value um, of the technology and the products and services they buy. So that's why I'm so excited now to take on this new customer success leadership role. And it just really, I think, stacks on top of my years of sales and sales management experience. That makes so much sense. And I really think, um, you know, I agree with you that you're at the at the edge of what it's going to take to continue to grow business um, on a long term basis. And I'm excited to see what happens as you as you continue in this role. I know it's a relatively new role that you've moved into. Yes, it is. It is. But I'm super excited and I think it will help me to be closer to the customer and really uh, add value while my team works to deliver customer value, not just activate what the customers have purchased. Mm, Such an important distinguishing factor. Um, So I 
I, one of the reasons that I really wanted to talk to you today, and, and I think a, a core element of the work that you're doing, right, your podcast is called Love Your Team, um, you're really focused on leadership. And you've had a lot of different leadership roles, um, as you mentioned, both on the selling side and now on the, on the client experience, customer success side. And I'd love to just hear from you, what are some of the experiences that you've had in your career that kind of motivated you to take this focus on leadership. I think a lot of people who are leaders just do it, right? They're not exactly thinking about, let me pull out the best practices. Let me consider what I'm doing. It's it's such a big job. It's so um, challenging and so demanding that people just get pulled in to doing the work of leadership and not always taking that step back and thinking about what it is that they're doing. So I'd love to hear from you. Was it a single experience or or a series of experiences over the course of your career that really led you to take that step back and look at leadership more holistically? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I would say it's a combination. There's a couple experiences that I had early on in my career where the manager and sales leadership team I worked for really helped me personally. And so one, for example, um, gosh, I don't think I've ever told this story publicly, is when I was transitioning from an engineering role into a kind of a go-to-market role with IBM, I accepted a position where I needed to move to Los Angeles from Silicon Valley. And at the last minute, I realized, oh my goodness, I can't move to LA. It just didn't fit for me. And I didn't know if that meant, okay, I don't have a job and I'm out in the street. And they ended up working with me and navigating it so I could continue to live in Silicon Valley and I continue to do the job that I was hired for. And um, it just taught me that there's a lot more to delivering great work. It's really about the people and leadership fundamentally is about people. And so I got really curious and, you know, in high tech, you can think, wow, I need to keep up with everything. The technology is changing so fast. And so continuous learning, of course, but at the end of the day, the people stuff is the the messy bits, if you will. And I really, really got curious about what motivates people. And I felt like I could be a great manager and, you know, I had my learning moments, managing teams, but it's become something that I have a lot of passion about. And for me, it's people first and taking care of your team and the results come. And, um, you know, it's also addressing the tough conversations that need to happen. So taking a step back, I would say leadership is about providing context and motivating teams and and helping them uh, do their best work by removing blockers and the day-to-day kind of content of that is management and strategies and focus. Um, so that's that's some of the early experiences I had that I think has shaped my point of view today. Mm. 
that that really resonates. And um, when I look at the work that that I see, you know, in your podcast and in your writing, uh, that's that really comes out. And I'd love to kind of hone in for the rest of our conversation today on some of the key challenges that you see when it comes to leadership, whether you experienced it yourself as you've grown as a leader or whether you're seeing it. Um, now, you know, for, for maybe more junior leaders that are, that are stepping up or just as, um, as things change, you know, as, as industry changes, as the way people work change, because what I see in your work is you're focused on helping leaders, not just survive in leadership, right. But thrive. And when I look at sales leadership, especially it is just an incredibly difficult role. You're pulled really hard in two directions. You have all the pressure from leadership, you know, from the board, from the shareholders, if it's a public company, from from all everybody above you. It's make the sales team work harder. We we need to see bigger numbers. We need to see more results. We need to see this, 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 this. And then you've got a pull just as hard coming from everybody below you in the organization from your team saying these targets are completely unrealistic. How do they expect us to sell these products? They don't make sense. It doesn't address what customers need. And you get pulled so hard in both directions. You know, it. you see why sales leaders, one of the shortest tenure of, of any leadership role. And so it can be easy as a, as a leader or as somebody who, who wants to help leaders to just focus on survival. You know, what can you do to not get fired? But you have a deeper focus with your work. You're not just focusing on that survival, although you're, you're enabling that as well, but you're really focused on on helping leaders thrive, helping them get to a level of success that they, maybe they hadn't envisioned. That's, that's more kind of personally satisfying. That's more, um, that, that's more global and less about just individual success in their role. Does that match up with what you're trying to do? Does that resonate with you? Because that's, that's just what I read in, in, you know, in the work that I see from you. Yeah, that's, you know, you've, you put it well, and uh, that does resonate for me. The thing is here is that You've got to start, you know, this is a Simon Sinek, start with why. Mm -hmm. So why are sellers working? There is a notion that sellers are coin operated and that's why they work to maximize their income. And certainly that is likely a factor, but particularly now, uh, you know, with all of the stresses we've had over the last few years between the pandemic social justice issues, the war in Ukraine, the January 6th Capitol uh, riots, etc. There's a lot of stress happening. Mm -hmm. And if you really want to motivate and unlock the potential of your team, you've got to understand your team. And, And that might seem simple minded, but I deeply, deeply believe that, that what motivates your team matters and understanding their concerns and considerations, whether it's, my goodness, I have um, a sick kid at home 
Or, you know, I can't make those weekly forecast calls at 8 a.m. because I need to drop my kids off at school. Managers need to understand that their employees, their team situations in order to be able to work with them in a way that can maximize their impact. So yes, there is a stress of making quota, but if you disregard the team and what matters to them, then you're going to end up having attrition challenges where folks are going to quit. And particularly now with a talent shortage and, you know, sellers can work for anybody. And so one of the things I like to think about and say is as a sales leader, would you work for you? Are you the kind of leader Mm. you would work for? And think about that kind of as a litmus test. That's huge. Because when when you talk to people and they look back at their careers, I think everybody can think of a leader that they had that was a huge impact on their career. Um, and it, it might have been really early on. It might have been later. But somebody who, like you're saying here, they, they cared about them as a person. They really thought about their success and they wanted to see them succeed, whether at their organization or long term, you know, even outside their organization. And they recognized that it that that they're a person <laughs> and, you know, it's it doesn't matter how much you focus on performance. It's still people and it's still it, it's still about their their individual focus and their individual effort. And if you're ignoring their needs as a human being, you're not going to get the result when it comes to performance that you're looking for. It's all it's all in fact related. Yeah, and it's pragmatic. So mm-hmm. let's do a thought experiment experiment. So on the first day of a new year, your seller, your top seller quits. Let's say it take and let's say there's a, a million dollar quota. Let's say it takes three months to replace them. Right off the bat, that's 250K in quota, you're out. In quota attainment, you're out. And then let's say your new hire takes six months to be productive. That's $750,000 that you don't have attainment for because your top talent seller quit and you were expecting at least a million dollars from that seller in the coming year, maybe 1.2 million because they're a top talent. So what are you going to do? And, you know, so nine months, you're sitting there in the hole, 750K. And, you know, the data suggests that about 43% of uh, workers are looking for a new job. And, you know, that's like 20% actually quitting. So how are you going to make that up? So how can you be a destination manager and a destination sales team that sellers want to work for, that they're clamoring to go work for you. So it's very pragmatic to keep your top talent, number one. But secondly, you've got to address the underperformers. And I know Mm. that that's unpleasant, but your top talent won't stay if you allow mediocrity on your team either. 
Absolutely. And that's something I I see a lot of leaders are really afraid to do. And there's there's almost a, an unspoken bargain. You know, I'm not going to call you out and you're not going to call me out when I do things wrong. And as a leader, you have the responsibility to be the one who does speak up and does call people and in a in a way that's not um, degrading, in a way that's not demoralizing, but just to identify, you know what, this doesn't match performance expectations. Let's figure out why. Let's figure out if there's a way that we can help this person achieve their goals. And if not, it's better for everybody involved if they can, you know, join an organization or find a role where they can be successful. I don't think anybody enjoys being in a job where you're not hitting your targets. And if we just kind of put our heads down and ignore it, it, it does nobody a, a, a good service. And it's, it, I think it's sometimes seen as being compassionate, but it's really not. Yeah, so true. So I know from years of experience, and I believe this deeply in my bones, that if it's not working for me as a manager, it's not working for the individual. And to not address it is a disservice. Now, I do want to distinguish between coaching an individual and also allowing for mistakes and coaching that and then going, okay, are they interested in learning? Are they doing things differently? Are they growing? Mm -hmm. Is that different than perpetual missing targets, not taking the coaching? Also, you know, I don't know if it's the case for all leaders listening, but for me, there's the, you know, making your quota. Yes, that's anti into the game. Yes, that's important. But sometimes, despite your best efforts, a seller misses their quota. But then the next question is, are they doing the right things to mm-hmm. build a relationship with a customer? Are they getting deeper and higher in the organization? Are we becoming more relevant to that company? And if so, then... How do you reward the seller, even if they're missing their target? You know, think about um, Boeing. Boeing had, you know, has had a a tough go with COVID, downturn in travel, 737 max challenges. And until recently, I managed a sales team that focused on Boeing. And they've had some rough quota attainment years. And so, but they've done some things that have been amazing and super important for Microsoft's long-term prospects and relationship at Boeing. Absolutely. That's, That's such a key factor because it can be easy to feel like accountability means numbers and that's it. And I'm just gonna look and you had a target of a million and you didn't get a million and so you're fired. And that's first of all, not feasible, but it's also not, as you said, pragmatic. You know, a lot of this stuff, people hear the name of your podcast, love your team, and they hear some of the things we're talking about and it seems a little fluffy, but it's it's not. And just asking a simple question of why did somebody not achieve their goal 
did they do the behaviors that we thought would help achieve their goal and they executed on the plan and still didn't get the result? That's very different from we put together a plan. They didn't execute on the plan. They didn't achieve the result. Did they execute and then they saw that it wasn't trending right. And then they tried a lot of different things and they saw maybe some success in, in some areas and, um, you know, other things didn't work out. But you could see that they really made an effort. That's very different from somebody who just, you know, I did the bare minimum. It didn't work. And now I'm just, you know, expecting that that I'll get a little slap on the wrist and, and move on. And, you know, back to what you were saying earlier, top performers want to be on a team of performance. They want to ha- be surrounded by success. They want to be motivated and challenged and have something to live up to. And if they see that you as a leader are are doing that and you're you're holding the rest of the team accountable and you're rewarding creativity and you're war- you're rewarding effort that's that's really moving toward uh, a goal and and is really, um, you know, trying different things and and being flexible and being creative to be successful, that's appealing to a top performer because they know that there is going to be a time where they're going to see challenges. They're going to, um, you know, they get the account that has a major (laughs) disaster and, and isn't exactly buying. And whatever that might be, they see the way you respond in those situations and that's going to impact how how they foresee that you would support them in a similar situation and that's you can talk a lot but people really can evaluate your behavior and they see what what actually gets done and that's one of those unspoken things that can help you to really be a manager that somebody respects and wants to continue to work for. Yes. Uh, well said for sure. You know, management, managing a team is messy. Mm-hmm. And I think historically sales leaders got promoted because they were great sellers and they, you know, really just, you know, maybe they told stories about how they were successful and they hope their team adopts it. But think of this, your top talent is your number one customer. And so if you're not investing the time in your team and you're liking the title of being a sales leader, but you're not committed and invested in really getting messy with your team and, and digging in and understanding what's going on, get out of sales management, get out of sales leadership. You're not doing anyone any favors because it is important and re- required that you understand your people, particularly now where expectations have changed Flexibility is considered, you know, anti into the game. Uh, in fact, flexibility is um, said to be worth 30% in compensation, that people will take 30% le- less to have a flexible work schedule of where they work and when they work. And so um, it becomes more challenging 
to understand and maybe adopt some new practices and skills. And so one of the reasons I started the Love Your Team podcast, and it's really for sales managers who want to build strong team cultures and have ideas about what they might do to in order to do that, particularly if they're not accustomed to managing with a team first management style. And, uh, you know, so there's some simple things sales managers can do, but start by checking in, asking your team how they're doing. What can you do to help support them? Where are they having challenges? You know, what are they, what are they looking for from you? Things like that. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's funny because um, I think just based on what you've been saying, you'll, you'll agree with me that the, the way the world has changed is not a pivot from where it was going necessarily. It's an acceleration. And a lot of the things that people are demanding now, that people are requiring now, they always wanted but they didn't see that it was okay to ask for them. And now they're seeing, hey, there are a lot of companies that have allowed a flexible return to work that are having, you know, an office available, but people can work from home if they want. And if you aren't going to offer that, I'll find a job that'll let me. Or, you know, I, I've had to deal with childcare challenges and, and you know, challenges with, with school and all kinds of other things with my kids. And, I expect some level of flexibility because this is, I'm a person, this is my life. You know, it's, it's not exactly like you can just leave your kids and not, not take care of them. And if there are employers who will allow some flexibility, you know, if you don't, then it's your loss and and I'll find a job there. And as you said, this is, this is the table stakes. This is what it takes to be an employer. And you can't just think, oh, you know, these are just the whiners. These are just the selfish people. Um, they're lost and I'll, and I'll find employees. You're going to really miss out on a lot of top talent who they're not asking for the world. They're just asking to be taken seriously as people and to be given, you know, a minimal level of flexibility to do their jobs in conjunction with the lives that that they live and it's it's a real distinguishing factor that is going to become i think more obvious over time as as you see attrition at the companies that don't provide flexibility and everybody just you know gets sucked into the companies that are really giving them the environment they're looking for yes i Totally agree. And sometimes it might be easy to assume that the childcare um, addressing sick, sick kids is a female challenge more than a male challenge. And certainly the burden of childcare falls disproportionately on average on women instead of men. However, I will say that men and younger generations are looking for more than just a job. They're looking for flexibility. So I know people who have moved their families and who have said, if my company or my boss returns requires me to turn, return to the office, I'm quitting my job. And you might be tempted to say, say, well, we need to have a seller that's co-located near the customer. 
well, where are the customers? Are the customers back in their office or have they, you know, relocated, particularly the executive leaders who have more, you know, flexibility, let's say, or monetarily, you know, can afford to move on their own or what have you. And so in a world where anyone can work from anywhere, we're not only competing with our traditional competitors, but we're, we're competing with every company on the planet for top talent. And so it is, you know, kind of anti into the game to be flexible. More and more important is also employees are looking for meaning. So do they want to work for a company? They want to work for a company that shares similar values and, and provides meaning. And so that's, you know, uh, that's a different, that's a, a huge difference. And again, when there's a talent shortage, the power has really shifted to top talent. And so it's something worth heeding in order to be competitive, because if you don't have top talent, if you don't have continuity of relationship with your customers, it's super hard to be competitive and to make your sales number. Absolutely. And I think a couple of times you've touched on something that that I really want to emphasize here because I see this, you know, just as an individual um, consumer as well as as a buyer for a business. And um, um, I, you know, you see this as well. Your clients' buying behavior has changed in a couple of ways. As you've said, you have buyers who haven't gone back to the office and aren't going back to the office, and so. You could put your salespeople in the office, but they're they're not going to be able to visit clients at home, right? It's that'd be a little bit weird if somebody just randomly knocked on my door to sell me office supplies. And if you want to make your your employee your employees, especially in sales, come back to an office, but that's not going to give them access to their buyers. That's that's kind of pointless. And so the buyer's physical situation may have changed, but there's also you know, there's been a reckoning when it comes to um, racial equality, when it comes to gender equality, when it comes to um, just promoting a, a, a workforce, um, you know, it just allowing equality and and really enabling a, an effective diverse team. And buyers don't want to buy from an organization that seems you know, wow, they don't seem like they support their female employees. Everybody that works there seems to be, you know, a, a young man who seems to have no childcare responsibilities. That doesn't look great. It doesn't feel great. And as a buyer, you don't necessarily want to work with a company like that. And so it, you know, your talent is a top concern as a manager. And that's something that you have the ability to directly impact. But it is also visible too your buyers and they care and it is something that they're actually looking at in in the way they're making their buying decisions that maybe they weren't necessarily paying attention to in the past. Yeah, gosh, there's probably three points I want to make in all that really really great um setup. So the data shows exactly what you said, 4 out of 5 buyers want to buy from a diverse organization. And yet 80% 
of sales talent, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, is not diverse. Mm. So you're exactly right. Customers, the buyers want to buy from diverse organizations. Diverse organizations can, um, you know, navigate and build trust more effectively. And so trust building becomes super important uh, for the buying criteria because what ends up happening is particularly in this innovation economy. And if a company is not a software company, it will be, or it will go out of business. So everybody, every company is an innovation company. And what that means is that buyers, they can't possibly know everything they need to know about your product or service that you're selling. So there has to be a level of trust, not only with a sale seller and the sales team, but also with your company. Because what a buyer is trying to do is they're trying to minimize their career risk. They don't want to make a bad decision. And so the skill of building trust, really understanding your customer is a critical skill for sellers. And I always say it starts with a manager. The manager's got to be able to um, build trust with the sellers have empathy and understand the seller situation. And sellers need to do that with their customers as well. And then the third point is that I do believe there's a time and place for in-person meetings, Mm -hmm. whether it is an executive briefing and people fly into maybe your company's headquarter location, or maybe it's in conjunction with an industry conference because people do want to meet face to face. They mm-hmm. want to troubleshoot, whiteboard, you know, learn, build relationships. And so there is a time and place for that. It's just not likely the day-to-day sales call calling on your customer. Absolutely. It's interesting because I actually was on the phone with a customer service rep yesterday. And one thing she expressed is she's so excited because she's relatively new in her job and they're going to open the offices again in June. And especially as somebody who's new in her career, she really wants that access. She wants to be able to see people and to ask questions and to learn and to form relationships. And so figuring out as leaders, what is the level of flexibility we can provide, whether it's optional, whether we have, um, you know, different people there at certain times, whether it's, as you said, you know, having certain, you know, once a month we get together and we have some level of executive um, kind of, you know, sharing what's going on in the company state of the union, but then we also have time for team building. So people get to know each other, whatever that might be thinking through the options thinking through what works for your team and what works for your industry, what enables you to make the connections that you need. There are a lot of different options and we have this opportunity with, you know, the the new world we're kind of all creating together to figure out a solution that makes the most sense for, for everyone. And that might involve you know, some savings because you don't need as much office space, but maybe you need office space that's configured differently, or maybe you need, um, you know, 
co uh, uh, rental spaces and in more smaller locations, whatever that might look like. Um, just listening to your team, listening to your buyers, and really keeping your mind open to flexibility. I think there's there's going to be a lot of interesting new things that we can't even envision right now that um, that different organizations are going to discover can be really effective. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And my team is dispersed. And so one of the things I try to do is when I'm going to visit customers is make sure that I make a point to meet in person with the team members that are in that location. And when I'm having, let's say, an all hands meeting, making sure that people who are dialing in remotely um, don't feel like second-class citizens, mm. that there's an equalization. So everyone in the conference room is on their computer, dialed into the meeting. And I need to be deliberate sometimes about, you know, pausing and calling on people if they haven't spoken up, because it's so easy sometimes that folks want to get a word in, but they can't because a few people might dominate the conversation. So there's a lot of strategies one can take to try to form a connection. You've got to have a solid platform of collaboration tools, employee engagement tools, you know, video, video conferencing, et cetera. And at, at Microsoft, we're fortunate because we have a Teams platform and we have exceptional collaboration tools. Um, but think about it from a, you know, also the, the responsibility of the manager to ensure there are no second class citizens in a meeting, so to speak. Absolutely. I think, you know, as you mentioned earlier, companies now have access to a worldwide talent pool. We have a client um, based in Philadelphia, and historically, they've they've had some employees, you know, from a little bit far away, you know, people in slightly farther away in New Jersey, et cetera. But in general, people who had the ability to get into the office with, you know, a couple hours worth of travel. And over the course of COVID, when everybody was working remotely, they ended up spinning up a new department with their key employees based in Central America. And obviously, those people are not going to be coming in once a month for um, team meetings and other things that everybody else might. Um, certainly, as leaders, making an effort to make sure that they can come in in person occasionally and that they're not always remote. But then, as you said, what you don't want to have is everybody else comes in and they're sitting on remote and you finish the meeting and it's like, oh, oops, um, you know, never heard from you. Hope you had a good day. But instead, really being intentional to, to get them involved. I think we've all at this point had the experience of being remote when when the rest of the participants in a call were together in person, whether it was just, you know, two or three people on their end and, and one of us um, or, or even worse. And as a leader, you have the ability to create an experience that's um, that's engaging of everyone that's there. And that's really one of those skills that maybe you didn't have to have as a leader, you know, five years ago. But um, it's at this point kind of a one-on-one -on -one level skill that everybody needs to be developing now because it, it's going to be a situation that I think we're going to be encountering on an ongoing basis. It's not exactly going away. Oh, absolutely. I would say it's a required skill for leaders 
to be very intentional about inclusion and inclusion takes many, many forms. Like we're talking about that the second, the folks dabbling in remote aren't second class citizens, but equally it could be something as simple as if you're showing slides, what colors are you, are you using? Mm. Estimated that uh, I think it's 20% of the male population is colorblind. Mm-hmm. So are you using colors on slides or using symbols? Because you want to make sure that you're being inclusive of the men who are, or the people who are colorblind as well. So inclusion takes many, many formats. And that's a, a skill that I think is required to be really intentional about. And as you say, it's a new skill for many. Absolutely. Um, there are a lot of ways that, again, as, as you know, the, the past few years have really pulled tr- forward some trends that were, that were moving maybe slowly. Uh, I think it's, it's been a conversation about how to be more inclusive. And it was maybe focused in just some very distinct areas. And now we have this option. We have this ability to really focus, as you said, on overall inclusion and what can we do to think about people with different abilities, um, whether they're their physical abilities or, or whether they have um, challenges emotionally and mentally and, and, and other situations. And the more inclusive we can be, the, the bigger of a talent pool we're really opening ourselves up to. And the more we're, we're creating that attractive environment that people want to come to work for you and they want to stay. And that's the, a lot of this that, that we're talking about here is it's not big. It's not obvious. It's not something you put on your website, but it's something that makes your employees happy to come to work every day. And that comes out when they're talking to their network, when they're engaging with their buyers, when they're, you know, just talking to their friends and their family. And that's that's a halo around your company that you could spend a lot of money <laughs> and and not be able to get um, just by creating an environment where your people are, they feel cared for and supported. Oh, that is so well said, Elizabeth. Yes, I couldn't agree more. All right. Well, I would love to keep just talking and talking and talking, but I'm looking at the clock and realizing we need to we need to start winding down a little bit. So a question I always like to ask our guests is, do you have any resources that you could recommend to our listeners? This could be um, content that um, that you've just learned from that that has been really inspirational to you over the course of your your learning and development. Yeah. So a few books. Um My top, top favorite is called The Coaching Habit. It's a book by Michael Bungay Stainer. I hope I got that right. But The Coaching Habit, it's a really, uh, it's taught me a lot about coaching my team and to be curious a little bit longer and ask questions rather than, you know, don't let that advice monster, as he puts it, (laughs) in the way. Um, So that's one Mindset by Carol Dweck is an incredible book, and it applies not only in a work work situation, but thinking about raising children and what kind of mindset do you have, a fixed mindset, a growth mindset. And then recently, a book called Anxiety at Work by mm. Chester Elton. I, Elton, I think is his last name, but Chester, he's a delightful, award-winning 
you know, author, written 14 books. Um, but I've learned a lot from him recently and heard him speak recently. Be and because of the mental health challenges, a simple thing like just asking people, hey, I've noticed, you know, that you don't seem yourself. Is there anything I can do to help? And um, anxiety is something that's prevalent for many people. And so anxiety at work, I think, and mental health is a key topic for leaders everywhere. Absolutely. I haven't read that one, and, and I'm adding that to my list right now. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, my podcast, Love Your Team, to help sales leaders build strong teams that overachieve and have great team cultures. Uh, so can't not plug my own podcast. Absolutely. If you hadn't, I would have. Oh, thank you, Elizabeth. <laughs> All right, Helen. Aside from that, um, your podcast, if listeners want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you? Uh, LinkedIn. I post on LinkedIn. I have a website, loveyourteam.com that I'm slowly building out. Um, you know, you talked about always being a learner. For me, I thought, wow, I want to get better at communicating and what better way to do that than to start my own podcast. And uh, so LinkedIn and my website, loveyourteam.com. Perfect. Thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Helen. I've really appreciated our conversation and I know our listeners will as well. Thank you, Elizabeth. Me too. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything that Helen and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three, four, five. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend us to a friend. That's the best way to help the show um, find more, more listeners. <laughs> if you haven't yet subscribed, make sure to do that so you get every new episode as soon as it's posted. You can subscribe for free wherever you're listening right now. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or email us if you've got direct feedback, questions, or guest suggestions. Podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ryland Sylvester. Happy selling!